1: But we begin this morning with a call to Paris. We're speaking to the folks from HelloSafe, which is an online insurance comparison company based in France that is uh, trying to make its entry into the Canadian market and doing so with a bit of a splash because they've been revealing some 2020 COVID math and determined that here in British Columbia alone, car insurers have saved over $900 million on payouts simply because... We didn't drive as much. A lot of us have stayed home. The cars, if we have even more than one car, one car may have even had the plates taken off and parked for the year. So let's talk about some numbers, and let's see how that might shake down to the premiums on the average BC vehicle. We're joined from Paris and HelloSafe by its communications and PR director, Alex de Alex, hello and welcome. Hi. Hi. Thanks for calling Oh, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Now, tell us a little bit about, first of all, Alex, step back because you're outside of Canada. So take a look at the big Trans Canada picture first, and then we'll zoom in on British Columbia because across Canada, as I understand it this year, Canadian car insurers are going to save in excess of $6 billion, correct?
2: Yes, uh, indeed, that's uh, what we estimate. But I have to say that uh, those numbers are still estimates until we have official numbers. But yes, in total, uh, uh, savings and payouts could uh, amount to $6.7 billion.
1: And this is simply because Canadians, like people, drivers and the rest of the planet, are driving less, yes?
2: Yes, indeed, because uh, we have observed the same trend across the uh, United Kingdom of France, for example, and uh, in all the Canadian provinces uh the results is the same, like, people didn't drive so much, so so, so companies are saving on, on payout.
1: Uh, just uh, for comparison, versus, uh, uh, you were talking about the United Kingdom there, Alex, for example, have British drivers driven even less than Canadians so far in 2020? Or are Canadians, yes. larger company, more ground to cover, are Canadians still driving more than the Brits?
2: Well, actually, in, uh, in the United Kingdom, we estimated that... Uh, Um, claims have decreased uh, like 50%, so more than in Canada. However, uh, the premiums are not so high in in the United Kingdom, so we we estimate that in total, the savings amount to 4.4 billion uh, sterling pounds, Mm -hmm. so approximately, let's say, 6 $6 billion dollars, Canadian dollars. So it's more... Um, Less claims, more uh, bigger decrease in claims in the UK, but uh, less saving for the insurers.
1: Okay, let's take a look at Canada. Let's zoom in on Canada. And clearly, most Canadians live in Ontario and Quebec. So tell us about those provinces first, Alex.
2: Yes, sure. Uh, Ontario has been the province where uh, the decrease has been the highest with uh, 35%. And then follow Quebec with um, uh, 34%, if I'm not wrong, I'm checking. Yeah, Mm -hmm. 34%. So so those are the most crowded provinces in in Canada, so it's no surprise to see them um, on top of the ranking of uh, the highest savings in Canada. But British Columbia is just behind with with Alberta, let's say third and fourth. And uh, in British Columbia, the, the savings have been high because of course the the premiums are very expensive, though. So mm-hmm. no am surprised to see those very high numbers.
1: And it's zooming in inside British Columbia, down into Metro Vancouver here on the lower mainland, and our numbers, uh, as I understand it. again, you've done the homework here, Alex, so you can confirm this, but as I understand it, uh, British Columbia, uh, I mean, sorry, Metro Vancouver uh, claims uh, and payouts. Are down to the tune of over five hundred million dollars just in Metro Vancouver, correct?
2: Yeah, almost yes. But of course, in Metro Vancouver, we we've included almost half of the population of British Columbia, sure, which explains yeah that the numbers are very high. But if you compare, for example, in Toronto, it's uh, uh, I'm just checking the numbers, but it's it's like I think it's more than one billion or even two. So it's no surprise to see very high numbers because big, big metro, big cities are likely to have big savings.
1: Exactly. Well, if there are two million in Vancouver, then roughly six million in Toronto. So it's easy to do that math and understand why the numbers are so much larger in Ontario. Now, your company has been trying to introduce itself into the Canadian insurance market. And since you're a Paris based company, uh, you've gone to the Quebec market first because linguistically it's the most comfortable. How has it been working out for you? Have you been welcomed uh, or uh, what's the status these days?
2: Well, uh, to be honest, we, we started the um, the website uh, over Canada just in August, so we are very recent. But uh, yes, we have been very well welcomed in, in Quebec, I have to say. We are like uh, having many visitors, like 15,000 uh, per month for now, and uh, we are growing very fast. And uh, of course
1: course sorry yeah Yeah. no i was just curious have you received word from now here in british columbia for example it's a it's a government insurance uh, scheme where private insurers are only allowed to participate above the basic rates but here in in british columbia the the agent the uh, government agency responsible for it icbc has said that they're going to take a look at uh, reducing premiums uh, and basic insurance coverage for the next two years so there's some indication from one province that they recognize that there's been enormous savings made by the insurers not visited on the drivers at all have you heard from any other canadian provinces that they're considering reducing insurance rates for drivers because of this soft year
2: yes uh, to be honest i was very surprised uh, to see in the news that the icbc would uh, would decrease the um, uh, the insurance premiums that's very good news i have to say for the customers, Mm -hmm. and um, we've seen no signs in the other provinces of uh, companies uh, decreasing their premiums. I think it may be easier in in British Columbia because, as you said, it's a uh, government-owned company that rules the the car insurance sector. But um, yeah, that's very good news for for, for the policyholders in, in, in Vancouver. And we've seen no signs of such rebates
1: in other provinces. So, so maybe British Columbia is unique. Well, no. that's, it's possible that we could start a movement here in British Columbia. Uh, irate drivers demanding rebates or at least lower premiums from their companies going forward. Is Safe ready to go for 2021 coverage anywhere in Canada, including Quebec, Alex?
2: Well, um, we do just uh, com- comparing uh, insurance quotes so indeed we are uh, settling uh, progressively over every province but i think over 2021 we will be able to propose a product in every province of canada i hope so
1: well, that's great. So we'll uh, we'll get back to you uh, early in the new year. We'll uh, thank you for joining us today. And as you uh, develop a plan for British Columbia and the rest of Canada to compete with uh, current insurance rates, which would be very welcomed by Canadian drivers, we'll get back to you and, and talk about what you want to do. Alex, thanks very much for this and Happy New Year. Thank you very much and Happy New Year to you too. Sterling Fox in for Mike Smith this week, joined on the line by Dr. Horatio Bach, who is an adjunct professor at UBC and the Division of Infectious Diseases, here to talk to us this morning about the Moderna vaccine, which is scheduled to arrive any moment now here in British Columbia. Dr. Bach, good morning, sir, and welcome. Hello,
3: good morning. Thank you for the invitation.
1: It's a pleasure to have you back with us, Dr. Bach. Uh, Moderna expected, I said, any day now. That's true, isn't it? This week sometime, correct?
3: That's correct, I understand that the vaccine will arrive uh, according to Dr. Henry, uh, probably today, and of course, once it's arriving, we need to be prepared for delivery, basically indeed so I guess in this week in this week we will it will start the distribution or early next week.
1: I want to talk about the difference between the two We're just learning and becoming accustomed to the Pfizer vaccine, Dr. Bach, which we all know takes Two shots to be completely effective, approximately three weeks apart. And the other thing that we know about the Pfizer vaccine is that it requires intense refrigeration. Moderna, not so much, but do, is it also a two-shot or two-step program?
3: Yeah, that is correct. Just a little correction. Sorry about that. It's not a deep refrigeration; it's deep freezing. Freezing, okay. Freeze. I'm sorry. Yeah. So the deep freezing basically it's important in uh, for the pfizer as you mentioned and moderna you can have in the regular freezer, like you know, in your house, in the restaurant, they use minus twenty degrees. Mm-hmm. That is the temperature that you uh store these these vaccines. Um um the difference between that, um unfortunately we don't know uh because the you know, both vaccines are made by what we call the RNA, that mm-hmm. is a nucleic acid. Yes, and this nucleic acid is very sensitive. Once it's exposed, it will be destroyed very fast by the cell. So you need to make sure that you deliver the the complete RNA at the same time. Uh, I have to mention also that both vaccines, you don't inject naked, what we call, you know, directly the RNA. You need to encapsulate to protect this RNA. The moment you inject. Proteins will destroy that as well. That's the reason you put like a, you, a, a coat, you cover, and that once is um, infe- taken by the cells, then we start to work inside the cell. Otherwise, it's not going to work. The reason for this temperature is uh, we don't know yet, but uh, RNA, for example, that we extract in the lab and we keep, we keep always at ma- minus 70 degrees. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, it's, it's very uh, sensitive, yeah.
1: And now the Moderna, as I require, as you say, just it can be kept in your in a freezer in a, in a, in a household refrigerator. And that's an, an advantage, I would think, just in terms of the ability of uh, the medical community to roll this vaccine out. I, I'm sorry, Dr. Bach, I, I don't know that I heard your answer. Is the yeah. Moderna vaccine also a two shot process? Yeah, sorry. Uh, yes. Indeed,
3: yes. There are two shots. uh, It's between three to four weeks uh, uh, apart, and that is to boost the system. You need to give a dose to prepare your body, and then a second one. And the reason you do that because in the first, when you give the first shot, your body will start one type of antibodies that they are like a short term, don't live for a long time. Right. Then it converting in a new type of antibodies, a new type of antibody that will have a better longevity in your body protection over time.
1: Dr. Bach, there are also, as I understand it, at least two more vaccines that Health Canada is investigating and indeed has signed contracts with manufacturers for. What are they and where are they in terms of approvals? Okay, that's right. The
3: first one is the vaccine from uh, AstraZeneca. Uh, the UK company. Okay. And, uh, my understanding that on January 4th, apparently will be approved only in UK. So if just start to roll and they get the information here in Canada, so they will need to evaluate and They need to approve as previous vaccine probably is a fast track because the global emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is from Johnson and Johnson. It looks like it's taking a little longer because you know, the, they, they are. Pro- um, the Johnson and Johnson uh, that will come probably uh, next year as well. Uh, the main difference is what we we have to figure out here. When you compare, sorry, I'm coming back from Pfizer. Pfizer and Moderna is the price. Yes. Pfizer vaccine is less expensive than the Moderna. It's about half of the price. So. It's good that we have freezers to keep, but that will be more expensive, so and all this in, info, all this information needs to be taken into consideration Now, when we go to AstraZeneca, they claim that we uh, will cost three dollars per dose, okay, and that is in u s dollar. and when you talk Johnson and Johnson it will be ten dollars. Ah. but the Johnson and Johnson, you will need only one shot, and the good stuff is that you can keep the vaccine for up to six months. In the fridge, mean no freezer. Oh, okay. You, you open your freeze in your house, you put your food there, exactly the same. It's between two to eight degrees.
1: So the lifespan of the Johnson & Johnson product is longer. It's easier to keep uh, because it's just a refrigerated product, Nothing, no freezing required. And the other bonus, if you will, is the fact that it's a one-shot-takes-care-of-business product. So that, in terms of approval, we've got AstraZeneca destined to be approved in the U.K. January 4th. So it's safe to assume Health Canada will follow up, I would think, fairly quickly. What about Johnson & Johnson's approval? dr bach where are we with that uh, particular vaccine
3: well it's my understanding johnson johnson is still a, a, you know finishing the data and of course needs to be presented to the fda for approval and so on um we don't have details exactly when it will be but i think that will be a following that will follow um uh, will follow the um, AstraZeneca vaccine approved. They, they are almost done. They finish all the phase three and they are doing all the statistical analysis and, you know, effectivity again and all this stuff to make sure. I have to remind the audience that the, the AstraZeneca in this case was a little a stop at some point because it was a case of a person that has some neurological issues, but it was a soul that was not related to the vaccine. And, and they continue, for you know, with the developing of the vaccine. But we expect, as Dr. Henry said, that, you know, by March we will have probably um, a decent amount of the population vaccinated.
1: Interesting. And final question to you, Dr. Bach. Should yeah. the, um, anyone who wants a vaccine receive it by September 1st? Is that a safe bet for 2021? Uh, Well,
3: let's say, you know, the problem is that, you know, um, this company will start to produce vaccines, okay, and they have contract and the contracts accordingly is, you know, it's like a first come, first search.
1: Mr. Smith is enjoying a well-deserved holiday break. Sterling Fox in on the program for the balance of the week. And you and I together will, with the help of Tim French and Sarah Hyde, kiss off 2020. Can't wait. Just a couple more days. It's been such a year. In fact, a couple of months ago, the Office of the BC Seniors Advocate issued a report entitled Staying Apart, to stay safe. The impact of visit restrictions on long-term care and assisted living. That was released on uh, November 3rd. Now, Global News just a couple of days ago reporting the National Institute on Aging says families in British Columbia are enduring the most restrictive visitation policies compared with long-term care homes Anywhere else in the country, the issue, the Institute rather, has issued guidelines to support the reopening of care homes to family caregivers and visitors, even during outbreaks. Here to talk about this new twist to the plot, if you will, is BC's senior advocate, Isabel McKenzie. Ms. McKenzie, Isabel, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Sterling. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you back, Isabel. It's always good to talk to you. It's been such a tough year. Were you in the least bit surprised by the uh, the National Institute for Aging's uh, comments the other day?
4: no we we do know that our visit restrictions in BC, namely uh, when we went to one designated visitor and we didn't sort of expand that um, after the beginning of um, July that other provinces were expanding the the number of people that could visit, and then the other issue is the scope of the visit, irrespective of how many people are visiting. And I think that that's an important thing to remember, that there's two different issues. One is how many different people are you going to allow Mm -hmm. to visit somebody, because that's bringing different people in the care home, and each person that comes in carries a risk of, of bringing the virus with them. And then there's the issue of, if you are going to restrict it to only one person, how restricted are you going to make that one person's visit? And I think that's where, certainly even now, we could be looking at ways of improving the quality of the visit. We found a large number of people were still experiencing fairly restricted visits, 30 minutes once a week Mm -hmm. or less, sometimes uh, with plexiglass between them, et cetera, not in the residents' rooms. And we could make that a more meaningful visit, even if we stuck to our one person at the moment um, where we're seeing these high outbreaks in the Lower Mainland.
1: Uh, just a curiosity question. Because of the, we've been identified as having the most restrictive visitor protocols for long-term care homes versus other provinces, Isabel, what do we know about the case increase rate in those homes, in those other provinces that have, I hate to use the word, but somewhat more permissive visitor protocols?
4: Well, you sort of have to divide the pandemic between wave one and wave two. And certainly for British Columbia, um, there's a a difference between our experience in wave one and our experience in wave two, Mm -hmm. especially in long-term care. Other jurisdictions such as Ontario and Quebec actually had a tougher time of it in wave one than they're having in wave two. Um, and so we're not seeing any, um, evidence yet. And I, and I qualify that because, you know, we are not finished this pandemic. We, we don't really know how we're going to perform overall until we're, we're through it. Um, but we're not seeing the evidence linking outbreaks to, uh, visitors or or degrees or of uh, visit restrictions that that evidence is not there at
1: Okay the moment. So then let's talk about how, uh, because you and I have talked about this on the radio a couple of times over the past many months, uh, and you're right. Summer was almost a reprieve because we did flatten that curve per Dr. Henry's instructions and, and enjoyed uh, a, a summer that was certainly unlike the second wave. Did our visitor restrictions over the summer, uh, l- did they lift at all or have they remained constant all the way through?
4: No, they didn't lift. Um, what we did in BC at the beginning, actually, and at the beginning, we were very similar to other jurisdictions where we restricted people, uh, visitors, period, from coming into long-term care mm-hmm. sort of in the first two two to three months of the pandemic. And that was for a variety of reasons. It was for we needed to get uh uh, personal protective equipment supplies organized. We needed to understand what was really happening with this virus, etc. We needed to get our staffing in order, etc. Mm-hmm. But then once all of that was put in place after the first uh, couple of months, two or three months, and we we started to see other jurisdictions start to lift those visit restrictions. Now, on the at the beginning of July, we moved from essential visitor only, and that really only was about 10, 15% of residents had an essential visitor. We moved to, you can get one social visitor. Um, And then we said we were going to revisit the one and see if it could be more. We never did increase it, uh, even when you know August was showing still low numbers, July was showing still low numbers. And then as I say, part of it is the number of different people, but the other big piece that we heard from people who are currently allowed to visit their loved ones is the degree to which that visit has been restricted as i say it's you know i used to go visit my mom three or four times a week for a couple of hours now i get once a week or less for 30 minutes in a common area i
1: was just going to say that that's the big difference too you don't get to go to the room of the person you're going to visit they they for some reason decided that there has to be neutral territory so to speak but that's cumbersome and expensive to organize isn't it
4: it is, and it's also not universal sterling. So the other thing um that has become clear is that different care homes um, and different health authorities are interpreting some of these uh, guidelines or rules, if you will, differently. Um so some families are enjoying visits in their residence room. Uh-huh. I talked to some care homes, yeah, that's in the residence room and and yet others aren't. And some health authorities are specifying, Social visits must be in common areas. Only essential visits can be in, in private rooms.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: So there's, there's that uh, aspect to it as well. But overall, the majority of people are not experiencing visits in the residence room, despite the fact that something like 76% of our residents do have a private room.
1: Uh, can we talk? I need to take a break, but before we take the break, and we need to stress this that, uh, and we're going to open up the phone lines too. Uh, Isabel has uh, graciously uh, accepted our our invitation to to speak to to British Columbians. Uh, so we'll open them. Yeah, Tim, let's open them up now and load them up because uh, we'll we'll take some calls right after the break. But uh, Isabel, in in terms of those uh, visits, it's I suppose the the thing that a lot of family members, like yourself, you have a a, a parent in care, uh, is the lack of standardized. It's not the same in Mackenzie as it is in Revelstoke as it is in Burnaby. Uh,
4: Yes, no. I just want to clarify. I don't have a parent in care, (laughs) just in case my mom and dad are listening.
1: Oh, okay. Worried? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, mom.
4: (laughs) I do have a mom and dad, uh, but uh, they're not in care. Um, But uh, yes, the lack of standardization, Sterling, uh, is something. Uh, that was clearly reflected in the results that we saw The what it was 15,000 people who responded to the survey. Yeah.
1: And of course, the the downside of all that the other side of that coin for all of those people, you said maybe 15% of people have visitors, uh, uh, even even the single identified family visitor, that leaves an a huge percentage, the majority of British Columbians in in seniors care without visitors and the lack of human contact aside from staff members who are really doing superb work, but who can only do so much, the impact of the loneliness, Isabel, is really taking a toll.
4: It is. Now, the 15%, I should clarify, Sterling, was essential visitors. So that was during the first three months of the lockdown. Now, everybody who wants at least one um, visitor is able to receive one unless the care home is experiencing an outbreak, of in course. which case it's, it's reduced to gain. Right. But I think the loneliness is, you know, when you think about 30 minutes once a week, loneliness is still an issue when you were accustomed to seeing your, your adult child or your spouse every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're quite correct that it has also had quite an impact on staff. In our care homes, and we heard from staff in the survey as well about the impact that this is having on them, both physically in terms of their job Mm -hmm. and psychologically because they care for residents and they see the residents um, wanting some wanting to see their family members more frequently.
1: Sterling for Mike on a Tuesday morning, joined on the line by Isabel McKenzie, the B.C. seniors advocate. And, Isabel, we did open our phone lines during the break, so let's include some callers going forward. And we'll start with Helen uh, joining us from Abbotsford. Helen, good morning. Good morning. You have a question for Isabel McKenzie?
6: Yes. I'm just wondering, really, if we are on the right track. Um, you know, I nowadays, you know, they have taken the RN so much out of... Uh, uh, the caregiver and uh, so we have and we only admit the very worst um, people to nursing homes and they have to be uh, they get uh, taken care of by the least educated people and I'm not uh, stepping on it that way uh, you know uh, downgrading the care rates. but they are not uh, taught uh, or they're not knowledgeable about uh Behavior, what they have to look for, all they are trained is for a task. And uh, so uh, uh, I just feel that uh, our seniors are getting incredibly shifted. They are the ones who have. Brought this country up, or what we now enjoy.
1: Okay, I, I got that part. Okay, so the complaint is about the quality of education or the uh, l- level of education of uh, the average staff person at a typical BC seniors' care home, Isabel.
4: Well, you know, I think that the the caller raises an issue that I think the pandemic has highlighted for many—not those of us who've worked in the field and who know of these things—but for the for the general public, and that is around staffing levels, staffing uh, compensation, staffing uh, training throughout long term care, and as horrific as COVID nineteen has been. For long-term care nursing homes in British Columbia, and as horrific as I think we've still got a few uh, weeks, if not months, ahead of us, mm-hmm. by this time next year, I think that um, we will see a stronger system in long-term care because it has highlighted exactly what the caller is is talking about. Mm-hmm. And to and to give this government credit, they have made some tremendous commitments early on in the pandemic. Around things like we're, we recognize the fragility of the staffing. Here's what we're going to, going to do right now. And there were some things we did right now. There's things that are going to take time to fix, but they've made tremendous commitments. And so I think that we'll see increases in the training, um, in certainly awareness around things like infection control and just a sharper, uh, eye on what's happening in our nursing homes in BC that hopefully will get to the heart of what that caller uh, is is highlighting.
1: Well, you know, and I agree with you, uh, by the way, this if there's one thing Canadians literally from coast to coast have learned or will have collectively learned a great deal more about because of COVID-19, it is the way in which we uh, deal with our uh, elders. We uh, And it's the whole care home, uh, again, some run by uh, government, some are state-owned, some are privately owned by for-profit companies. Uh, standards vary. We've already talked about it. If, if one region of British Columbia to another, so imagine how standards vary from Nova Scotia to British Columbia to Quebec and so on. Uh, so I think the outcome, and I agree with you, and the caller to the extent that the awareness level of every Canadian Person has been elevated with respect to seniors' care, and that can't possibly be a bad thing.
4: No, because I think what happened was it showed that we care. Most Canadians never see the inside of a nursing home, they yes. won't be there themselves, and frankly, their loved ones won't be there either. It's a, it's a small minority of people that end up in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what I think was very heartening was when, you know, these images started to appear and what was coming out of Ontario and Quebec, Canadians were not indifferent to it. Um, they were outraged by it and they said, we have to do better. And that's important, Sterling, because doing better, um, is not without, <laughs> uh, challenges. Sure. And, and frankly, it's going to cost more money. Um, and that money is going to come from us as Canadians. But I think what we've said is, uh, we want better, and 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 the will to do it has to come first, and then we'll we'll see the results will follow.
1: I'm looking at uh, your website, seniorsadvocatebc.ca, and in the second paragraph is the best news you've posted in a long time. Quote, the first limited round of approximately 4,000 vaccines will be administered to lower mainland health care workers who work in long-term care homes. Fraser Health and Vancouver Coastal Health are reaching out to those staff to schedule opportunities for vaccine appointments. And then you direct the visitor to the government website Website for more details on prioritizing and vaccine rollout, but the fact that you're able to publish anything about a vaccine rollout before the end of the calendar year, Isabel, is just straight up good news, isn't it?
4: It is. We're actually ahead of schedule um, in our vaccines, both the Pfizer vaccine, which has some transportation complications to it that make the, the it necessary for the the person being vaccinated to go to where the vaccine is. Right. Um, But we also have the Moderna vaccine, uh, which will be able to go into care homes and vaccinate residents as well. And that's ahead of schedule, both um, in terms of approval and delivery as well. So I think that... um, while we'll all be glad to see the end of 2020, here, here. 2020 uh, 2021 uh, is looking much more hopeful.
1: And, and it seems that uh, the seniors population of British Columbia, the government does have its priorities, right? And uh, with the uh, increased volume of vaccines flowing into British Columbia, it appears there is the, the plan is starting to kick in, isn't it?
4: It is. And very clearly, um, seniors uh, long-term care homes have been prioritized and seniors over the age of 80 in the community. Um, and so I think that that, again, speaks to our commitment. Um, our- Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry, Chantilly, cake
1: and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
1: Mike is on vacation, Sterling Fox with you, serving out the end of the term for 2020. And it's an appropriate guest that I'm about to introduce you. Simone Liss is president and CEO of the Better Business Bureau, serving the lower mainland of British Columbia. Simone, thanks for joining us. It's good to have you aboard this morning.
7: Thanks for
1: having us. Well, it's a pleasure. And uh, even though Christmas is now past, uh, the Christmas and holiday scammers have certainly not stepped down at all. There's still all sorts of negative activity going on there. What's what's the big stuff this year, Christmas 2020 or holiday season 2020? That you people have been because you're 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 the ones we call when we've been burned. So tell us what uh, what's topping the list this year.
7: Well, we've got about 12 scams, which we call our naughty list that we've released. Okay. And, I mean, obviously, if if people want to take a look at, in its full entity, they can always go to our website at BBB.org. Um, but, you know, topping our list, we've got um e-cards which are you know people especially during covid they can't really deliver their cards in person right they're becoming an even more popular alternative to getting um, a christmas card
1: yeah they're becoming more popular altogether i've only had two this year both from people i know and they were both lovely so what's the potential harm in an e-card simone
6: Well, it's
7: always the potential of actually opening something from someone unknown, and it turning out to be some sort of malware or spyware. Uh Um, So you just got to be very careful when clicking on an unknown link, just to be sure that it is indeed from someone you know.
1: Okay, so that's the key. If you if you see someone is you know because sometimes the subject line will say you know person X has sent you an e-card. That's right. And, and, and that's yeah. tip. And then you either know person X or you don't, but they don't all get sent in exactly the same way either, do they?
7: That's right. And I mean, you can look to see if it looks like it's coming from a legitimate company that specializes in electronic cards. Um, I'd also look to see if it has an attachment that ends in an EXE, which might be a very you know, scary piece right there. Um, and if you're in doubt, you can always ask that person if they sent you
1: something. That's true. That's true. You don't automatically have to open anything, even though, of course, and this is what the bad guys rely on, don't they, Simone? The instinct is, hey, an e-card. How cool. I wonder who this is from. And I mean, with the best of intentions, bingo, you open it up and you may have already done yourself some harm.
7: That's right. And And some of these things, they go away and they come back until people aren't really paying attention. And then, you know, the time is right and you click without thinking.
1: So let's talk about, uh, I've got the list open in front of me, uh, and uh, now we have something called social media gift exchanges. Again, sounds like something pretty straight up, doesn't it?
7: Yeah, especially, I mean, during this time. I mean, it It sounds like it's spreading good charm and goodwill, and really what it is is a glorified pyramid scheme. And so what they're doing through social media is asking you to give your list of friends as well as potentially your information or some money or a present to some random person. Um, So like a pyramid, you're recruiting other people and you're also giving them potentially access to your social network as well. So if you see a post about joining some sort of social media gift exchange and it's to a whole bunch of random people, don't get
1: involved. Interesting because we've also just recently become accustomed to this whole concept, Simone, of paying it forward. You know, you get to line and you're you're in, next in line at the fast food joint. You want or your coffee, and somebody's in the the serving person gives you your coffee, and you say how much, and they say it's already paid for. The the guy ahead of you paid for it. So, and so and and we turn around and go, well, here's five bucks for the next person. That's good. That's good. And so we're kind of in that flow now, and it's something recent. So this sort of feeds that, doesn't?
7: Exactly. I mean, right now, people love the idea of spreading good, right? And no wonder, given the the world that we're living in. Um, But the twist here is that they're asking you potentially to send information to e-transfer, to provide your personal information um, to someone you really don't know. And so they're using that energy. They're using your desire to make good in this world um, to potentially put yourself at risk. And, And not only yourself, but your family, your friends. So I'd say just don't get involved.
1: So and and, and the instruction here is if you see a post about joining a social media gift exchange or any kind of pyramid scheme, report it to the platform you see the post on so they can get rid of it.
7: Exactly.
1: And do many people do that?
7: It's a good question. I mean, the thing is, a lot of these things are very easy to pop up. So they pop up, they get shut down, they pop up, they get
1: shut down. Sure, yeah.
7: The most important part here, though, is report it and do what you can. Protect yourself, protect your friends, don't share your information.
1: Mm, Okay. So number three on the top dozen scams of 2020, according to the Better Business Bureau, is holiday apps. We have a a program here on Sunday mornings called the App Show. My friend Mike Agarbo is in charge of that. So uh, I'm sure he's He's done a fair bit of warning about this on his show as well. But talk to us about holiday apps, Simone, please. Well,
7: we just want to remind people, especially, you know, there's lots of apps out there where children can do things like chat live with uh, Santa or, you know, watch Santa uh, their live reindeer track, you know, especially with New Year's, potentially watching the ball drop. Oh sure. Um, so as you're downloading applications, um, make sure you're looking at the privacy policies to see what information is going to be collected, especially if the especially if these are apps that are going to be connected to your children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to know what information they're going to be taking from your child's habits, and then also a lot of free apps might have other things in them like advertising. Um, or other things within it that might require some sort of payment. So just be aware, be cautious, read over your privacy policies, um, you know, just protect your children's interest as they're downloading these free apps on and, their new technologies. And, of course,
1: in the process, you're also protecting yourself because your child doesn't have the bank account you do. Uh, so let, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but talking about th- those free apps, and, and uh, so what you're looking for is a privacy policy. And if you cannot find a privacy policy, move on, right?
7: Like, exactly. I mean, if they're not taking the time to provide you with how they're going to use your information, how they're going to store it, how they're going to uh, save it, how they're going to share that information, I would say for sure move on. Um, it's really important that you take the time in advance before you download it and let that information be shared.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, number four is is one that happens in my house every day, Simone. We have two cell phones and a landline at my house. And between those three devices, Carol and I get uh, at least four or five robocalls Every day, and one of the most popular, sometimes in Chinese, sometimes in English, is uh, these calls about compromised accounts. Your account, we've noticed uh, a discrepancy in your account. So tell us more about these uh, account compromised alerts.
7: Now they're, they're really trying to catch your attention. They look really official. Uh, you know, the email version might take you to a website that's asking you for your account number, your password information, sometimes even your social insurance number, depending on um, what, what sort of link it is. Um, in the phone version, they might tell you to call um, and download some security software to your phone or computer. I mean, all of these things are really intended to try to collect information from you or potentially download or install um, malicious software onto your devices. So you've got to be very careful. um, And before you do, when you're getting an unsolicited call, an email, or a text, make sure that you can confirm that it's from a legitimate source. Uh, A lot of organizations will not connect with you that way to make sure to report to you when you've been compromised. Right, exactly. Um, And so I would never, ever share information first. Um, they should be giving you information so that you can take your time to pause, call them back at a a number you know is legitimate, and do your research.
1: Right. So if they have a challenge about your account, rather than panicking and going, oh, gosh, how can I fix it? I don't want any troubles with my bank. uh, You should say, thank you very much, and then uh, may I call you back, go to your account, find out if there are any issues, and if there aren't, you don't even need to bother calling them back, do you?
7: Exactly. I mean, and some of these are so good. They're so good at what they're doing. Uh, Not only are they asking for information, but they're also asking you to pay money using gift cards. Yes. Now, you know, not just gift cards, I've heard Bitcoins. So that in itself is a suspicious red flag right there. Why would you be paying in a way that's untraceable?
1: Nothing quite grabs your attention like something for free. It's one of the uh, many scams of 2020 that's been identified by the Better Business Bureau. They put them together in a list. Their CEO, Simone Liss, is with us today to take a look at some of the top scams of 2020. And Simone, free gift cards way up there on the list.
7: Yeah, I mean, like, like you said, I love the word free. Me I too, mean, the yeah. Catch, yeah, <laughs> the catch here is, I mean, really, nothing is for free. Um, And you get, uh, you know, you might get an email or a text. um, And then they're asking you, of course, to share personal information in order to receive these free gift cards. Right. Um, And they'll use legitimate companies' names like Starbucks um, and this promise in order to entice you to share your information. Um, You might see it through a pop-up ad or a text message. Um, You might say that you've been randomly selected to win a prize. Yep. But again, you're providing them with information, so it's not free. They've basically bought your information from you. So you know, don't give people information that you don't know. Uh, unfortunately, nothing in life it really is free.
1: And if you get a, if you get an email with some offer of something for free, and you open the email, it's not necessarily as fatal as opening the link contained in the email, right?
7: Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you've opened the email. Um, just delete it or mark it as spam or junk. Um, If you've opened, uh, don't go the next step and click on the link because that clicking might download the the malicious software if there is some.
1: Absolutely. Next on the list is temporary holiday jobs. How do scammers uh, get into that corner?
7: Well, I mean, again, people are now starting to look at how do they pay off some of the um, costs that they may have accumulated over the holiday season. Um, right now, I'd say shippers and delivery services are still quite hot as, as they're still trying to meet the demand sure. of the online holiday season. Um, the catch here is that uh, the scam artists are potentially offering jobs where um, they look like super easy jobs for big money working from home. So it may be things like reshipping packages, stuffing envelopes, answering phones, Um, Or they may send you payment in advance um, with, uh, you know, that check being way too much money than what you should be paid, asking you to send some money back. Um, That's a a sign of a typical overpayment scheme.
1: Um, And so they're going after the work from home gang this time around because there are so many more of them, right?
7: Exactly. I mean, people are becoming very adept with working from home. So that in itself is suspicious right now. Um, so if you are looking for work, just keep an eye out for vague company descriptions. Make sure you do your research. Um, don't provide your information in advance to someone who's asking for a lot of information and don't send money in advance as well. You shouldn't need to ever pay money in order to, to work get a for job a a company.
1: Exactly, yeah. good point, Simone. Lookalike websites has also made the list this year. Tell us about that.
7: Well, again, I mean there's some really hot out items out there. Um you know lots of websites pop up offering really good deals, sales and bargains. We want to remind people just to be very careful of the emails you might receive with some of these. Uh they may lead you to a website that's not the legitimate website of a company with the again the intention of trying to get you to download some software um that's malicious or making a purchase that you'll never receive the product. So just be very careful. You might get an email. It may look like it's from a legitimate sender, um, but, you know, it's not. So don't click on the links. Hover over the email. See where they're taking you. Look for signs that it's not legitimate, such as misspelling or bad grammar. Um, And if you are going to shop online, whether with a reputable company or not, always make sure you're dealing with a website before you provide your payment um, where the uh, method of payment collection is secured. What so oh, okay. kind of that might be, like an HTTPS on a web browser name.
1: Okay. And this one is regrettable and it's not unique to the holiday season uh, uh, or any time of year specifically, Simone, but there, it, it's unfortunate that they continued and, and, and with such great uh, volume. And I'm talking about fake charities especially at this time of year and you combine that with a pandemic and so many people in difficulty we are tuned to being generous instinctively anyway and this is in a year like this a lot of the bad guys are really ready to take us for a ride
7: yeah i mean we call you know a fake charity or a look-alike charity i mean the bottom line is you're right it's a ripe environment for a scam artist to pretend to be calling you from a legitimate organization Um, So if you are being contacted, I'd always tell you to take the time to research the organization first. Um, Canada Revenue Agency has a great tool for reviewing charities, so does Baby through the Give.org website. Um, The other thing you can do is then confirm that that charitable organization is actually calling you. Mm -hmm. Um, So make sure you do things like call the charity again from a legitimate number um donate directly to them versus a third party right um when you pay the third party you're paying for somebody um and you may not be comfortable with what those funds are out of your donation dollars
1: yeah interesting stuff and you've alluded to this already given the volume of delivery trucks still on the streets of the city post christmas because of course we're in the boxing day buzz right now and a lot of us are receiving shipping notifications of various kinds some of them fake unfortunately tell us about how to identify them
7: Well, same idea. I mean, you're right. Like, people are expecting packages or they're not expecting packages. If you're not expecting a package and you get a notification, that right there is suspicious. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are expecting a a notification, um, most vendors are going to provide you with the tracking information. It's going to tell you um, who the delivery driver is. It's going to provide you the status and location of your items. Try to use those links instead of emails that get sent to you. Um, those, uh, you know, a shipping notification that's fake. The intention behind it is, again, to collect information. Sure. Um, and sometimes they want to trick you into paying additional fees um, unrelated to a legitimate package that you may have ordered so you've got to be careful.
1: Okay, and finally, we're going to skip down to puppy scams because this is still big, even though uh, during the, the, the pandemic, more of us have adopted uh, and rescued creatures than ever before. Bad guys are still out there taking advantage again of this.
7: Right, I mean, who doesn't want a new puppy for the holidays, right? Um, in this situation, you know, what these are is they tend to be not local companies where you're buying uh, a hard-to-find furry friend. Um, And so it's a fake breeder. They entice you with cute little puppy pictures. Um, They'll maybe share stories of that pet. And you're feeling like you're really connected. Um, The unfortunate piece is that they are not legitimate. They're just trying to collect your funds. And when ultimately you... Start waiting for your
1: puppy to arrive, the puppy never comes. Yeah, so, sad stuff, yeah. too. And there's always kids involved with that, too, isn't there? Simone, thanks very much for this. I'm going to direct our listeners to your excellent website, BBB.org, for the entire list and tons of excellent tips on how to keep uh, survive all of this stuff. Happy New Year to you. We'll talk again soon. Mike's away, Sterling Fox with you on this Tuesday as we count down the last of 2020. Uh, we had the uh, good fortune to speak with the folks at the Better Business Bureau during our last half hour. Simone List uh, to went down the long list of the top scams of 2020. And the last one on the, on the list was puppy scams. And as we move to talk to our, our, our next guest at the Delta Community Animal Shelter about pigeon racing, uh, let me first introduce Ryan Vutalanen, the manager of the shelter, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you with us, and we'll talk pigeon racing in a second, if you don't mind, but I wanted to follow up on what uh, Simone was talking to us about at the end of our last half hour, and that's puppy scams, because frequently uh, puppy scams end badly, uh, and if indeed there is the delivery of an animal involved, and that's not always the case even, but if there is, frequently that animal ends up in a shelter. Have you uh, any recent experiences with such, uh, such activity?
0: Um, not um, personally and not uh, anything that's been reported to us specifically. However, Good. we have um, we are um, part of uh, various um, uh, animal welfare and rescue networks here in the in the province of BC and there have been uh, reported cases of this um, unha- happening to unsuspecting uh, people. During uh, COVID-19, we've seen a real increase in people wanting to bring a, a pet into their home, whether that be a cat, a dog or another type of small animal. And um, we're seeing that uh, through any of our organizations that we're seeing fewer animals in shelters. So people are trying finding other ways to get them. And typically there are online scams, those sorts of things where people are falling prey, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, it is true. Last time I was in your shelter was about three years ago when Carol and I were looking for a rescue dog. We didn't find one at your shelter. We found her downtown in Vancouver. She's still with us, by the way. It's a lovely awesome. shelter, and you've been very busy, Ryan. The COVID-19 pandemic has determined for a lot of us that being alone for, well, prolonged periods of time just ain't so great so we've uh, adopted a furry friend or two most most definitely and i think that's um
0: it, it's great that people are um, thinking about bringing uh, pets into their homes but uh, we also need to also consider what may happen when uh, people get vaccinated and return to a more um, uh, more normal scenario going back to work those sorts of things Good so point. it's very it's very important for people in those in those scenarios where you may have to go back to work to kind of make sure that you're maintaining a more uh, normal situation where you're leaving your your puppy or your cat or your dog at home a little bit on their own those sorts of things so you're not inadvertently causing uh, um, behavioral issues and those sorts of things, where where a pet has been used to somebody being in the house all the time, and now all of a sudden you're gone for eight hours. Yeah, I so, get that yes,
1: separation anxiety and all that sort exactly, of stuff. So you can exactly. tune them, you can train them. They're certainly willing to they're willing to go along with pretty much anything you've got for them, as long as it's all ends up being good at the end of the day. So if you need to buzz off for an hour a day just to get them accustomed to not having you around, that's a good conditioning program that can just get longer as necessity dictates. Right. Most most definitely, and that's that's stuff that as we're not seeing as many um, animals through our
0: shelters and those sorts of things that we're that we're providing support with to uh, members of the public and uh, that sort of stuff so if you're not really sure where to turn to get proper advice on how to work on some of these issues, we definitely encourage people to uh, contact their local uh, animal uh, uh, welfare uh, shelter or uh, animal rescue organization, they will provide you support and resources on where to look and where to turn to get um, uh, kind of the most up-to-date uh, information on, on what to do in those types of circumstances, because our goal at any animal shelter is to try and prevent animals from coming actually into the shelter and to keep them into, in their homes.
1: Absolutely, and you do such a good job, and it's been such a successful year for all the shelters uh, here in BC. Now, we the reason you're with us, or one of the reasons you're with us this morning, Ryan, is to talk about something we discussed Discovered in the Delta Optimist a few days ago about a ban on pigeon racing in your municipality. I didn't know there there was pigeon racing to begin with, let alone the fact that there's been a ban on it. So let's talk about first things first: pigeon racing. Uh, it's been around for millennia, literally thousands of years. I was surprised to find out that there's some kind of league or some kind of action going on in Metro Vancouver today.
0: Uh, yes and it's, it's something that uh that I'd never noticed or it would never really seen before either, but it is something that um, there there are some very um, well run groups, but there are also some groups that are kind of uh, loosely knit and uh-huh. don't necessarily um, provide the, the same level of care as some of those uh better kind of organizations uh-huh. so uh, what we were finding in Delta and even in talking with uh, surrounding municipalities is we were receiving uh, these pigeons that were being released uh, in the, the hopes that they were going to go fly to home um, that were then not making it all the way home right. and uh, falling uh, um, either prey to, if you've ever been to Delta, you know that we have a large um, birds of prey population oh, so yeah. that were falling uh, prey to predation or, or worse yet, starvation. Um, and, uh, we were also finding them with parasites and those sorts of things. And unfortunately, because they're a very specialized, um, kind of animal to care for, uh, when we receive them in our care, those ones that weren't being claimed, um, would stay in our shelter for an extended period of time while we tried to find somebody that was able to, to properly care for them. In fact, we still have, uh... Two uh, pigeons in our care from this summer that are still looking for a home. So, if there's any uh, anybody out there that's interested in pigeons and has the kind of the setup to care for them properly, we definitely encourage them to to reach
1: out to us. Oh, that'd be good too. Uh, so, Ryan, how does a ban happen? Do you at the animal shelter uh, d- identify and document the reasons, and then present it to city council? At which uh, point the ban kicks in, or can you do it from your office?
0: um the ban, the ban has to be uh created by a uh, by a by-law, by so this in this case here it was uh, uh information was presented um, it was actually started uh we were getting information together, but um, some members of the public also, because of the the things that they were seeing, members of the public going through people's private backyards to try and collect their pigeons, those mm, sorts of things, yeah. and parking issues. So there's a whole bunch of other issues that were surrounding us as well. actually put together a, uh, a petition and uh, presented that to council. I then in turn also took the information that I had um, and consulted with other uh, local municipalities and uh, put together some information for... Uh, for members of uh, Delta City Council to to look at, as well as uh, uh, wording of a bylaw that prevents um, the racing of pigeons. However, it doesn't also, and that's something that we also wanted to make um, available, is there are still people that uh, own pigeons um, and want to give them exercise. So it doesn't prevent people, if you're on your own property, to release a pigeon from your backyard, because they're going to come back to your yard um, to to provide them that kind of exercise. This is preventing people from kind of grouping in in local parks and letting them race.
1: Ah, okay. Is it in effect yet or does it kick in soon? It is in effect now. It uh was passed on
0: the uh December um I believe it was the thirteenth uh council meeting unanimously by uh Delta City Council.
1: And uh final questions to you, Ryan. Uh do you have any creatures left at the shelter for adoption this week? And if so, where's the shelter please?
0: We we definitely do have animals available for adoption, uh, but what we're do- and this brings up another good point. But during our uh, COVID nineteen most of most of our facilities are are by appointment. So what we're encouraging okay. people to do is to check out our website. Uh, ours is uh, Delta Community Animal Shelter dot CA, and we have all of our animals that are available uh, for adoption online and listed there. And uh, once we've gone kind of through a kind of a pre approval process, we will then. Uh, um, have uh, doing our matching surveys, have people come to our facility by appointment so that we can schedule people, make sure that it's safe both for animals that we're going to do the proper safety COVID-19 questions and then making sure it's safe for the public as well.
1: Absolutely, and by that point, you will identify the location of the shelter so the people can find Definitely. you and yes. and, and, uh, and and get that connection, get that furry p- creature connection going on. Uh, our little dog that we found three years ago when we visited your shelter is still uh, just a ray of sunshine. Every day in our lives, we just feel so lucky. Ryan Vudalayan and uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Keep up the good work sir
0: thank you very much and
1: uh, thank you for having me it's a pleasure thank happy you. new year ryan